Some weeks ago, we, uh, we commenced a study on church leadership. Uh, we began a little mini-series, and we only started with point one, or that, uh, that first aspect of it. And we, we, we mentioned at that time that there were three forms of leadership as seen in the church. The first form is preeminent leadership. In other words, Jesus Christ, the unrivaled head of the church. And no pope, nobody else, it is Jesus Christ, the unrivaled head of the church. And we gave that message at that time, and it was an exciting message. It was a Christ-centered message because it's all about him. And we know that this morning. We know that he is the head of the church. He's the head of this church. He's the head of every church. Because it's in his name that any of us even meet. We understand that. And so we talked about preeminent leadership. And I mentioned at that time that there were two others for us to look at in our overriding series of the church. And the second is pastoral leadership, which is the one that we're going to look at today, interestingly enough. And then thirdly, practical leadership. So preeminent leadership we looked at, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, pastoral leadership, speaking of the spiritual leadership of the local church, and then practical leadership, uh, which is deacons and deaconesses in the church being involved in the practicalities of everyday church life. We're going to consider today that second form of leadership, and we're not going to cover it all. Um, There's more to do in a few weeks' time. But let me just briefly outline the plan so you've got it, so you know where we're headed, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump straight in. Dealing with this subject of pastoral leadership, first thing we're going to look at this morning is misconceptions about the pastor, and we're going to have quite a few sub-points there. Secondly, probably at another time, we're going to look at the biblical truths about the pastor, And then lastly, which will be hopefully helpful in particular for you, is the biblical responsibility of the church toward the pastor, or pastors in our case. I want to say before we commence this message this morning that what I want to teach is scriptural, not necessarily cultural, not necessarily ecclesiastical what i mean by that is it's not necessarily what's popular in churches today it's not necessarily what's culturally acceptable it is biblical and i will say at the very forefront here this is so uh, convicting to me because this deals with myself and terry at this in in this our local church as to what we need to be as men and that is very confronting and i want to say at the forefront that i do not have this down I do not have this all right by any means, neither does Terry. None of us do, because we are human, uh, and we realize that. So it's very important you understand that this morning. Also, I want to say, just before we launch into it also, that none of this is to be suggested as a pity party either, uh, where you would look at the role of the pastor and go away and say, oh, wow, that's so terrible, that's so difficult, or anything like that. That's not the plan either. I want to give a balanced biblical view of what the scripture teaches us about the pastor. But the first thing we're going to do is look at some misconceptions about the pastor. Father, this morning, uh, in just the few moments uh, that I have uh, with this, our church, uh, with just a short amount of time, uh, limited strength in my body, I pray that you'd use it, that it would be encouraging, it would be a blessing, 
that it would uh, help us to see the truth in the light of Scripture. Lord, I confess before you and these, my people, uh, that I do not meet all this criteria all the time uh, and so often fail, so often, uh, Lord, I don't do what I ought to do. Uh, I'm not an example as I ought to be so often. But I'm thankful that you are such a loving and forgiving God. Thank you for the calling. Thank you for the blessing it is to serve in this way. And may you be honoured and glorified in what we look at together. In Jesus' name. Amen. First thing, we're going to look at misconceptions about the pastor. We're not going to turn anywhere just yet. In just a little while, we'll turn to a couple of places. But misconceptions about the pastor. Sub point one is this. The pastor is Superman. Okay, that's misconception number one. The pastor is Superman. Now, I did some interesting research. Some of this you may find a little bit humorous. Lifeway Research in America conducted a survey in which church congregation members were asked to list the duties they felt that the pastor should be actively engaged in and how many hours a week should be dedicated to those tasks. Here are the answers that were given. Prayer, 14 hours. Sermon preparation, 18 hours. Outreach and evangelism, 10 hours. Counseling, 10 hours. Hospital and home visits, 15 hours. Administrative functions, 18 hours. Community involvement, 5 hours. Denominational involvement, 5 hours. Church meetings, 5 hours. Uh, Worship services and preaching, 4 hours. Other, 10 hours. Of a total of 168 hours in the week, 114 hours needs to be spent doing those things that were mentioned in that survey. Uh, That's obviously without sleeping, without eating, 19 hours per day, seven days a week type thing. That's what LifeWay Research suggested. When I was doing a little bit more research, I came across, which is sort of humorous but sort of sad too, a satirical advertisement that was put in the local paper. This is what it said. Wanted, a pastor for a small church, must excel in preaching, teaching, pastoral care, administration, leadership, vision setting, missions, ministry, church growth. Also, 10 years experience is a must. He must know politics, how to dry tearful eyes, handle every major life crisis and have the answer to life's hardest questions. Someone said that sounds like Jesus. Yeah, that's about right. Okay. One church bulletin excerpt said this, the ideal pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. He condemns sin but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8am till midnight and also serves as the church janitor. He makes $40 a week, wears good clothes and donates $30 a week to the church. He is 29 years old and has 40 years of experience. He makes 15 house calls a day and is always in his office. We, uh, we laugh and we joke. But the reality of it is, there is to some degree an expectation that the pastor is some kind of superman. Simply not true. The truth is, and this is where the object lesson comes in this morning, the truth is that most pastors are naturally weak. Most pastors hurt easily, prone to failure and discouragement. And the self-confession this morning from this pastor, and you can ask the other one later, is prone to discouragement, prone to weakness, uh, may appear strong but internally is very weak. Misconception number one is the pastor 
is Superman. Um, it's really important that we don't have a Messiah mentality in one sense, an expectation uh, above and beyond, because we need to understand, first of all, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to service, every one of us is weak. Every one of us fails. Now, there are very clear standards in the scripture as to what a, a pastor and a church leader ought to look like. And we'll, co- we'll cover that. But we must understand that at best, we are men that fail. All of us. And the pastor is no different. So the pastor is Superman. That's misconception number one. Number two, the pastor only works one day a week. Now, I want to give you uh, a little bit of a, an insight here into something that as, a, as an attendee here or anywhere else, here are three devastating questions or comments that you could say to the pastor, not just to me, but to any pastor. Here is one of the questions. So what do you do when you're not preaching? Okay. The second one that you might say would be, must be nice to only work one day a week. Or the third one, I'd like to come see you this afternoon. Since it's not a Sunday, I'm assuming you're free. Now, they are sort of jokes, but they're not really. There is a general belief out there that a pastor's work starts and finishes on a Sunday. One pastor, in helping to explain to his people what he did, produced a list of ten tasks that a pastor accomplishes that most people don't know or forget about. Again, let me say, this is not to put someone on a pedestal at all. This is just to aware us, because maybe we don't know. Maybe we really do think that it's just this, you know, uh, an hour on a Sunday or whatever. So here's ten things for you to think about. The pastor is a counsellor. Mediation. Marriage, pre-marriage, post-marriage, child-rearing, grief, etc., etc., etc. Number two, pastor is an events coordinator. Church meetings, outreach activities, youth groups, kids clubs, anniversary services, communion, men's breakfast, camps, baptisms, weddings, funerals, etc., etc. Pastor is a trainer. Developing ministries, upskilling people, cultivating gifts, etc., etc. The pastor is a writer. Letter writing, sermon notes, booklets, pamphlets, tracts, references, character references, etc. Fifthly, the pastor is the public relations officer. Municipal guidelines, justice of the peace, code of ethics, constitution, statements of faith, etc., etc., etc. By the way, I'm not saying all of these things should be the case. But this is what naturally falls to someone in the role of pastor. Number six, the pastor is a visitor. Visitation. Hospitals. Homes. New church attendees. Disgruntled church members. Problems. Etc. Number seven, the pastor is a meeting facilitator. Building committees. Sunday school meetings. Youth group meetings. Deacons. Elders. Etc. Eighth, the pastor is a learner. Further studies, short courses, retreats, specific subject development. Uh, When you come to study something in particular, most pastors don't know it like that. They study it. 
Number nine, the pastor is a visionary, goal-setting, planning, agendas. Where are we going to be in five years, etc.? Number 10, the pastor is a chair stacker and unpacker, setting up for meetings, cleaning tables, vacuuming, tidying, emptying rubbish cans, etc., etc. These 10 things are just some of the things that go on in the life of a pastor week by week. They do not include anything related to normal life, home life, or work life if he's bivocational. This pastor that I, I, I refer to here who, who made this list uh, reminds his congregation that the grass still grows at the pastor's house, the dishes still stack, uh, and so on. Again, these are not given to produce pity for the pastor at all, but they are to help us be aware of the calling upon that man's life. And I think it's important not that you understand what I or Terry or others do, but that you are, not for that primary reason, but that we understand that the calling that God has placed upon a man's life involves a great scope of activity. And it is a constant, uh, relentless responsibility. Uh, It doesn't end at 5 o'clock. It doesn't start at 9am. It can be all night. Uh, I can't re- count how many times there have been hospital trips to Melbourne over the last five years that I've been here. Um, countless times. Those things are the part of the calling. And it needs to be understood by the church so that they can pray effectively, they can support effectively, and so on. The pastor only works one day a week is a misconception. Thirdly, the pastor never has problems in his private life. Contrary to the expectation of some, the pastor is still human and has problems. His problems are the same as yours. Now, I know that you probably think that uh, Jessica and I have the perfect marriage. Perfect marriage. Nothing ever goes wrong. But there are family problems in the life of a pastor. And bear in mind, the scripture makes it very clear about family. And we need to be very conscious of that. You need to be consciously looking at my family. Family problems. Now, I'm wearing a nice pair of new shoes today. But you know what? Pastors have financial problems, just like everybody else. One of my biggest ones, thirdly here, is balance and discipline problems. Last year, I lost a heap of weight, and somehow it found me again this, week, this year. There's a, a need for balance. There's a need for discipline in the life of the pastor, and that's just another added aspect of the life that we all live. Personal character problems and flaws. I look at myself uh, in the mirror sometimes and I, I literally say to myself, you are so flawed. The people at church have no idea who you are. And for the most part, you probably don't know the dark recesses of my own heart because it's sinful. Attitude problems. Amazingly, I wake up sometimes and I have a bad attitude. Not amazingly at all. Because if you know the nature of humanity, if you know the nature of sin, you know that everybody has problems with their attitude. Now this one is, uh, I didn't agree with what this person said because I definitely don't have this problem. And that is uh, a fashion problem. Pastors have fashion problems. Now, Katya has many times pulled me up on the fashion problems that I have. And I'm thankful, see, today I purposely wore black pants and blue. You never wear black and blue. 
pastor has problems, fashion problems. Here's an interesting one for us to consider this morning. Self-esteem problems. You might be surprised to know that behind the confident facade of many, many preachers is a man who at best is very, very weak and prone to constantly challenging whether or not he is worthy for such a call. And the answer is no, not worthy. Self-esteem, feeling inferior, unable. There are times sometimes when I'm sitting there and I know that I'm about to get up and preach and I feel so inadequate, so unable, but for the grace of God. And then we note that the pastor has physical problems. And I thought I'd uh, show you that this morning as an object lesson with my back. Physical problems. Pastor has conflict problems, just like everybody else. And many, many more that we could look at. And so it's important that as we begin this little study about church leadership, I don't want there to be misconceptions. Because I don't want people to put the pastor on a pedestal. I believe that there is respect and there is all of that needed in the scripture. And we'll get to that later. But it's really important at the very start that we don't somehow put this person on an elevated plane whereby they can't fall. They can't have problems. They can't. They're the ideal individual. That's not true. That's not true. In fact, when you look at God's calling over the years in the scripture and since then of people, you find that God calls weak, pathetic men to serve him so that he might demonstrate his power through that. That's what we see right through the pages of scripture. And there is a mentality in church today that we would, we would somehow lift up that man or that person in ministry to a level that they don't want nor should they have. And then we wonder why they fall. I was sharing with uh, the group who prayed with us this morning that I received some sad news yesterday and uh, it caused me to, to cry somewhat. Uh, and I'm not going to say the person's name, but uh, I was told yesterday that someone who I have a lot of respect for, uh, who believed that they were called to the ministry, has just stepped down. Um, it's too hard. Their health is failing. They're not able to do what they thought they would be able to do. And on the day that uh, they were to be voted in as the official pastor, they withdrew their pastoral candidacy because they'd been operating in that role for a little while and they just couldn't do it. And that broke my heart because there are men everywhere that are falling out of ministry, either disqualified or they are set up so high that when they do fall, the fall is absolutely tragic. And so I want to be very careful that we guard ourselves here, that we don't think highly of others, except that we give due reverence and respect to the role and responsibility. But we don't set people up so high that they will fall. And when they fall, their fall is even worse. And so it's really important we get these misconceptions right. Pastor is not Superman. The pastor doesn't work one day a week. And the pastor does have real problems. In their life. And I want you to be able to take this, not just for here, but for anywhere and for any time. The Lord may bring a new pastor here one day, and I want us to be prepared for that if God brings someone else onto the staff, or if the Lord takes me out of the equation, or whatever happens. We need to understand this reality about this role of pastor. And so they're the misconceptions. And secondly, now what I want to do take us to the biblical truths about. The pastor. So clearing out misconceptions. Now let's go to the biblical truths about the pastor. 
And we won't finish this by any means, but let's begin with the definition. Turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. We're looking here at the biblical definition. And we know that Ephesians chapter 4 is dealing mainly, predominantly with the church, with gifting, with what the Lord Jesus Christ gifted when he rose from the dead and gave gifts to men in verse uh, number 8 there. And in verse 11 we are told, Ephesians chapter 4, And he, that's Jesus Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. I was only going to read just a a verse there, but I was looking for a full stop, and with the Apostle Paul, there's never a full stop. So... (laughs) Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. This word shepherds, if you're using a King James Bible, it will be the word pastor. It's the word poimen. That's the Greek word, poimen. And it only appears in a number of places. This is an agricultural term. Now, we have today various different um, terms used for spiritual leadership. In some different uh, assemblies, you'll hear the word bishop. In other assemblies, you'll hear the word elder. Uh, And in various other terms, vicar and so forth in various different uh, places. But there's only three biblical terms that we read of in the scripture. And they're used interchangeably. The word pastor. The second word is the word elder. And the third word is the word overseer, or in the King James, it's translated bishop. Now, as you know, I don't necessarily by any means expect or require anybody to refer to me as Pastor Daniel Chris. I don't like the title concept. I really dislike that. But I love the word picture. I love the word pastor. So if you're going to call me anything other than Daniel... Please don't call me bishop. Okay, please don't call me overseer. And elder, I'm not really that old, so don't call me elder. Pastor is a wonderful word. Its agricultural meaning demonstrates precisely what I want to be as one of the leaders in this church. See, the word pastor speaks of shepherding. It's the picture of nurturing. It's the picture of loving and care and compassion and concern. It's protecting and it's correcting at times. It's a beautiful word, the word pastor, agricultural in its origin. But the second word, which is elder, which is the word presbyteros, that's where we get the word presbyterian from, presbyteros. We read that that is another word that is interchangeable with the word pastor. And then thirdly, we have the word overseer. And that is the word episkopos, where we get the Episcopalians from. Okay, in a different church setting. Pastor, elder, overseer. These are three interchangeable words in the scripture, and they simply denote a different function of the role. So let me explain what I mean. Pastor 
expresses the nature of shepherding. Elder expresses experience and maturity, which the man who is called to lead must have. An overseer speaks of the role of oversight and ruling, a guardian or someone who superintends. This is the definition of spiritual leadership, pastor, elder, overseer. They are interchangeable. But you'll note as well that today those words have fallen into quite disrepute. I'm thankful that the word pastor still has a general sense of what it means. But often the word elder is a subset of leadership in some churches. Uh, The word bishop means something totally different out there. Overseer, those words are not words that are used very well in church settings anymore. And yet they are biblical. You need to understand that. So I want to give us a few observations, if, if I can, before we finish today from Acts chapter 20. If you turn to Acts chapter 20. Again, this is really introductory to what we'll do in a couple of weeks' time where we take it to the next level. Acts chapter 20. We're still really looking at the biblical definition. And in Acts chapter 20, we get a bit of a summary of the role here. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, let me read for you a number of verses here. Acts 20 verse 17. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. This is Paul. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Let me pause and just clarify here. So Paul has called for the Ephesus elders, the leadership of the church at Ephesus, and they've gathered together. So this is who this is that Paul is talking about. So if it were a larger church, we have Terry and I here. There might be a number of other men who would be in control of that that realm of leadership. So Paul calls those men together. And he says there, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now... Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold... I know that none of you that that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now he speaks to them directly. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace 
which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. In the, uh, in the closing moments of our time together this morning, I just want to give you some observations from this text just to put us into the picture as it relates to spiritual leadership. So again, here is the elders, plural, at the church of Ephesus meeting with the apostle. And the apostle is now giving all responsibility to them for the running and uh, organizing of the local church because he is going to Jerusalem bound, not knowing the will of God. And we know what happens just a little while later. His head is severed from the rest of his body for the cause of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice a few things. In verse 17, if you would find verse 17 for me, please. Excuse me. uh, Yeah, in verse 17, we see the word elders. Okay, in verse 28... We see there, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Then he says, to care for the church. Here is what happens here, just so we're clear. We have these three words used in this particular passage. It begins with the elders, plural. And then he says the overseers there in verse 28. And then the words care for in verse 28 is the word poimen, pastor. We could read it like this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to pastor the church. We have these three interchangeable terms occurring here. So just in case you were wondering, because there are many misconceptions out there about church leadership, pastor, elder, overseer are all the same office, different expressions and roles within it we need to understand that here as a church i want you also to note it's plural it's plural the elders this is really critical and i just want to share a personal uh, thing that i have noticed over the years i have grown up in circumstances where what it looks like in church is there is a pastor and there is a group of deacons and there is a congregation Now, I believe that deacons are in the scripture. I believe that's the practical aspect of the church. But here is my problem. Unless it is absolutely unavoidable, there should never be one pastor. Now, there might be one full-time pastor, one person who takes the majority of the load of teaching and preaching, but there ought never to be one man running the show because there is a great danger for that man on many levels. There's a great danger from the congregation's perspective to lift that one person high or to accuse that one person and then it's all over. But also that one person is so prone to pride and selfish ambition. And the great danger with one person leadership is that if something were to happen to that leadership, the entire church can potentially be turned over overnight. 
It is very dangerous for churches to operate with solo leadership, spiritual. And I'm so glad that God has put within our assembly at least one other and maybe others in the future who would be able to take control of spiritual leadership. No one man should be responsible for that. It ought to be a plurality. And so I encourage you, church, pray that the Lord would continue to raise leaders, spiritual leaders in this, our church, that we would have men who would be in unity and in one accord for the glory of God. Because it ought not to be one person. And I have seen the great danger of that over many, many years. And if the Lord sovereignly takes that man out of the equation, what normally happens is the church folds. And that's devastating. That's not the plan that God has. So notice the plurality of spiritual leadership. In verse 27, these are just, again, just some observations. The spiritual leader declares... The whole counsel of God. In verse 27, Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We do not want to be under the spiritual leadership of someone who is afraid to touch certain areas of the scripture. Now, there are many, many places, and I hope this is not me at all. I don't believe it's me. I don't believe it's Terry. But there are places where you can go where the leader will not talk about this. Even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, even though it might cause some upsets in people and so on, we we need to preach the whole counsel of God. That's the responsibility of the preacher, of the pastor, to share the whole panoramic view of Scripture. And one of the reasons why I commenced going through books of the Bible, and we've taken a pause from that for a little while, but we'll return there, is because you have no choice but to cover every topic in the book. So when you get to the difficult ones, you can't just go, well, you know what? We're just going to skip over that and we'll come back to that another. We need to go through it systematically. Paul says, I wasn't afraid. I didn't shrink back from preaching the whole counsel of God. And we want the whole counsel of God, don't we? We want God's perspective on the whole situation. We don't want little bits here and there. We want all of it. We want to see it clearly. And that's what Paul says. I want you to see in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I want you to note here that the pastor, the elder, the overseer is called by the Holy Spirit. This is not something that needs to be taken lightly. I appreciate what uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say. He says, if God has called you to pastor... Do not stoop to be the king. You know what that says? The greatest calling in all the world is to pastor. That is the greatest calling in all the world. The Bible makes that clear. Don't underestimate this call. Don't think that there's something greater out there. There isn't. But also, don't jump into it if you're not called. See, Spurgeon, the so-called prince of preachers, would say this. If God will let you do anything else other than pastor, do it. Because you know what the problem is? We have people who are not called to pastor operating as pastors. And then we have people who are sitting in pews who God has called to pastor who won't do it. Both is a great tragedy. We don't want the wrong people pastoring. That's devastating for the church. But we want the right people to stand up and do it. And so you're not going to hear me often say, I want to do a a big uh, invitation or altar call. Everybody who believes God's called them to full-time service, come walk down the aisle. 
God, the Spirit of God calls a man and he places a relentless voice on that individual that will not let them go. I cannot tell you, church, how many times I have wanted to quit. I truly cannot. And in fact, there are letters in that filing cabinet in there of the different times where I have literally got to the point where I'm ready to type it up and hand it out. And there's just the one thing sometimes that keeps me going. And it's this. The Holy Spirit will not let me go. He has me here. And sometimes I say, I'm done with this. I can't. All that list of things that you want me to do, I can't do it. God, I can't do it. And I become discouraged and disheartened. And sometimes it goes on for days or weeks. And then at the end of it, when I'm just ready to give up, the Holy Spirit within me says, I called you. I enable you. I am the reason that you're doing what you're doing. Not because you have the gifts or the power, but because I called you. And this is what I have learned. And this is true for every one of us. God's calling is God's enabling. What he has called you to do is what he will give you the power to do. Don't do something he hasn't called you to do. And don't not do it because you think you haven't got the power. Because you do. We learn in the scriptures that the pastor, the spiritual leadership is called of God. It's not something you just say, I'll give that a shot. We don't give it a shot. It's a life. It's a calling. It's something that is irrevocable unless you disqualify yourself from the ministry. Verse 28, Paul says to the church there or the elders there, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Overseer is a caretaker. One who takes care or shepherds the church. Verse 28 tells us which he obtained with his own blood. We need to remember that this is not a physical work as much as it is a spiritual work. It involves physical activity. It involves preaching and teaching, but it is a spiritual work. The Holy Spirit has called a man to shepherd a group of people who Jesus Christ has bought with his own precious blood. What a task. What a call. You know what I love about this too? And this is what I'm seeking to learn. Is that it is, it's his people. It's Christ's people. We collectively as born again, blood bought Christians are his. And the responsibility ultimately does not fall to me or to you. It is his church. He is sanctifying. He is preparing us for glory. But at the end of the day, it's not the work that I do or that Terry does. It's the work that Jesus Christ does. The Holy Spirit does in our lives. And as we submit to that, as we surrender to that, we are more and more like the Lord Jesus. I want you to note in verse 29... This is a dangerous, dangerous truth. Paul says to these elders, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. It is essential. And I suppose in some senses it's for Terry and I directly this morning, this part. We must pay careful attention to ourselves because the nature of men is to end up perverted and twisted. 
If we are not guarded, if we're not careful, we will lead the people down a path of of heresy. We'll lead the people down a path of, of false teaching, of falsehood, and we will make shipwreck the church of Jesus Christ. This is not to be overlooked. He says, Paul says, fierce wolves are coming. And church, this is critical. This was back then. Imagine how much more true it is now. The further into the end of the age we have come with twisted, perverted truths all over the place. Being espoused from the pulpit saying, thus says the Lord when the Lord has not spoken. The Bible tells us that. There are people left, right and centre who are perverting truth. And the greatest need that the church has today in this century is discernment according to the word of God. We must test the spirits and it is the spiritual leadership of a church to look out and say, danger, danger, danger. Red lights are flashing. And sometimes I know as church individuals, because you look out perhaps at a certain circumstance, you think, I wonder what all the fuss is about. I wonder why. Why is why is Pastor Daniel or Pastor Terry saying be, we need to be careful about this when on the on the face of it, it looks fine. Because God has given to those men in spiritual leadership a sense of discernment so that they would look and see and say, well, we need to be careful here. We're on sinking sand. We are walking towards a dangerous part. And so there is a sense in which there must be a, a real trust and a real dependence upon spiritual leadership to look out carefully around the panorama of Christianity and falsehood and be able to say, we don't necessarily see that, but we trust that according to the word of God, that is true. It's dangerous times. When we read in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy that there are men who have actively sought the destruction of others from within the church. John tells us at the end of the first century that there are those in there who are telling people to, to worship false gods or to not welcome people into the church. All kinds of things that go on in the name of Jesus Christ that are wicked and evil, perverted and twisted. We need discernment and the leadership needs to pay careful attention. Remain alert and vigilant because men with selfish ambition and personal agendas are arising, seeking to destroy the flock. You know, the other thing we need to remember before we finish here that's really important. We need to remember this is a spiritual battle. Sometimes we forget that. It's an invisible battle most of the time. We don't see demons and angels fighting necessarily. We don't see uh, all of that occurring. But it's a reality in our lives. And we need to understand that this is a spiritual battle. And Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so this is a spiritual battle. Sometimes we get so caught up in the physical we forget. But then we also observe also in here... That from within the very leadership, verse 30, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. I pray that this never occurs here in our local assembly, but as a church, you must keep a careful eye on our leadership. You must pray, you must seek to protect, you must seek to support, but you must watch carefully because, you know, the greatest way to destroy a church, it always begins with the leadership. It always begins there because if Satan can do a work in the leadership of a church, the church will potentially be destroyed. 
And so it is essential that you watch out for us, that you keep an eye and make sure these people are staying true to the word of God. When there becomes a cultish mentality, when there becomes selfish ambition, when there becomes a pursuit of wealth or or some other aspect that is not biblical, it is your responsibility as a church to say, whoa, we are concerned here. We're not just going to go along with this. We can't. Absolutely essential because Paul says that even from the church at Ephesus, their leadership, there are going to be men who come up twisted things to draw the disciples away after them. Verse 32, Paul says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. We note here that the spiritual leaders must rely upon the word. And the means, and that is the means of being built up. Absolutely essential that spiritual leadership actively engaged in the word. That's what Paul commends them to, to God and to the word of his grace. See, you know what he's saying in essence is stay close to God, stay close to the gospel of God, stay close to the word of God. Lose sight of that and we lose everything. I want you to note lastly in verse 38, there's others, but we'll close with this thought. Here is Paul having told them that he is leaving. In verse 36 he says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. There was much weeping on the part of all. Can you imagine that scene? Here is the Apostle Paul. He spent a number of years praying and weeping and working and teaching and training and, and all of that for many to- hours and hours. And knowing the Apostle Paul, this wasn't just, hey, we'll meet on a Sunday for two hours. This was night after night after night in between building tents and helping people. And and, uh, this is the kind of guy that Paul is. And he has put his heart and soul out there. And these people love him. And they know this is the last time they're going to see his face. What does Paul do in verse 36? And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. These spiritual leaders need to make prayer a priority. We all need to make prayer a priority, but how much more ought it to be a priority in the life of those in spiritual leadership? And so I just want to summarise as we close here this morning, um, as we look at this matter of pastoral leadership, and we're going to talk some more about what that looks like. It's not dictatorial leadership, and we're going to talk some about that, uh, but it is spiritual biblical leadership. Um, I I want to close by reminding you that Pastoral leadership is not about telling people what to do. Pastoral leadership is shepherding and nurturing. There is a discipline aspect to it. And I'm thankful we have not had to do that here yet. I'm sure it will happen. But it is always according to the word. And it is always with the supreme motive of love. That's what it ought to be. It isn't always, but it ought to be. And so when we talk about spiritual leadership, we need to understand... That our natural tendency as human beings, all of us, is that we don't like having to submit. In any sense, we don't like. That is the opposite of what we want. Our sin nature, our natural desire is to kick against the pricks. It's to kick against anything that is uh, over us or supreme or whatever. We don't like uh, the atheists hate God because he has to submit to God if he's really there. And we're the same as Christians. If we're not walking with the Lord, we don't want to submit to God because that puts us under. We don't want to submit to leadership because that puts us under. All of us. But we need to understand every one of us is under God. Every one of us. 
And submission is an absolute reality in the life of a Christian in every sense. But our natural tendency is to say, I don't want to submit. I don't want to be under someone. But in actual fact, spiritual leadership is not to be under a dictatorship. It's to be under a loving leader who nurtures and teaches from the word and provides truth for our lives as a Christian. And so I want you to just be reminded that as you think through this matter of pastoral leadership in the days and weeks to come, that the pastor is not Superman. That he doesn't work one day a week, that he has problems in his private life. And then the definition that we have looked at there, shepherd, one who cares, one who leads, one who protects and is committed to the flock. And in closing, I want to say this. I believe God has called me, no question whatsoever, to be pastor, which I, by the way, fought against for many years and said, I'll never do that, anything but that. And the Lord changed my heart and did a great work there. Uh, But I want to be, I want to be the very best pastor that I can be. And I want to be sharpened. I want to be honed. And that happens by means of the flock. And so I'm not sorry for difficulties that come along. I am sometimes at the time. But I'm thankful for the difficulties that come along. And I know that we are going to experience trials as a church. I know that we're going to experience difficulties as a church. But we all need to understand that that is for our benefit. Those are the things that refine us. And so I'm asking you as uh, the flock that God has called Terry and I to, how can we more effectively minister? How can we more effectively show love? How can we more effectively show concern? How can we more effectively build you up that we might, as God has called us to, present you to Christ as a church that is blameless, without spot, as the precious bride that we are supposed to be? And I'm asking that you would... Tell us if there are things you say in your life and in your character. There are concerns we see here. We need that. We want that. Uh, We don't want to be seen as being some sort of super Christian, some sort of superhero in the church at all. We are men at best and we don't even see our own flaws sometimes. So help us with that as next time we look at what the qualifications of a pastor are. Lord, thank you for this time we've spent in your word. Thank you for the strength to preach and Uh, Lord, for your uh, teaching that we see in the scriptures. And uh, Lord, if if any of that has come across and made sense, I pray that you would uh, help it to, uh, Lord, not cause people to, uh, Lord, be overwhelmed at what the the concept of pastoring is or anything like that, but that that there would be an understanding, uh, that there would be a prayer, full support, uh, a desire to build one another up as we're called to. Lord, help Terry and I as those called to spiritual leadership here in this place to be what we ought to be, to be an example in in word, in deed, in conversation, in conduct. Uh, And that if there are things that we can do better, more effectively, uh, that that would bear greater fruit in the lives of those you've called us to lead. Then, Lord, may people be honest and open about that. May we be transparent and approachable. Uh, Lord, we are learning and living together in this Christian life as you prepare us for that ultimate time of glorification. Thank you for the privilege it is to be uh, a Christian. In Jesus' name.